0: Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse Podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles?
1: It's going good,
0: Andrew. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, got a couple things to talk about. Today uh, we have an interview with Laurel Hauser coming up at the end of this recording, which I'm excited to hear. Uh, but before we get into that, I think the big news of the day is uh, we we had talked about yesterday on the podcast that the County Board of Supervisors is going to meet today to discuss a possible masking order, um, focusing kind of on the question of the legality of it. Would it stand up in court? That kind of stuff. And then when the meeting began today, uh, I heard that. Uh, this was going to be mostly an educational meeting and we'll we'll get into all of that but give me a little background on on what was happening leading up to this morning Uh, and then i guess we'll just walk through the meeting to to talk about what happened
1: yeah uh, well i mean is this big news i i haven't checked social i don't know if anyone is interested nobody's really
0: talking about it that's that's the thing that i've seen
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah pretty uh lightning rod issue of course um yeah, it was, you know, the meeting happened nine o'clock this morning and uh, the, the county board is starting to move a little more quickly on getting these remote meetings going. It's still kind of uh, it's still taking a little while, but not the hour it might have taken early on in their remote Zoom meetings sessions. Um, but yeah, the, the meeting was called by county board chair Dave Leenow on Wednesday to discuss whether they wanted to institute a countywide masking order and um now said he called the meeting based on a ton of feedback from businesses and citizens asking the county to make some sort of mandate um he said at the meeting today that only grew since wednesday um hundreds of calls and emails and he said of the ones he was able to get to um 87 percent were in favor of some sort of universal masking order um and overwhelmingly business owners in favor of it. Right. Um, we, we had
0: talked on the podcast yesterday, and, I, and I'm not saying go listen to that podcast first and then jump into this one, because obviously we're going to get into the news, you know, about what happened in the order shortly, uh, but the the two big things that I want to stress is that this was a meeting to discuss requiring masks indoors and in situations where social distancing was not practicable. So this wouldn't be a like cop pulls you over when you're walking on the side of the road kind of thing, um, and we'll talk about the enforcement of it too because uh, that that definitely came up in the meeting. But that. That's kind of where we were at, and we also talked about the one of the biggest reasons for this is because it stands as a support mechanism for businesses that are requiring masks to be able to turn to and say, like, hey, I'm requiring masks, I know, but it's also, you know, the county is requiring masks as well. You've got that support system behind you. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we were talking about leading into today. Uh, and then, of course, the meeting happens, and uh, how did it turn out?
1: Well... Ken Pavick, the county administrator, made it clear early on that this would not, like, it's not there. They were not going to be able to pass any ordinance today because to pass an ordinance that must be posted and published in advance for the public to be able to review it and weigh in on it. So there was no ordinance written for everyone to vote on. But so today's meeting was largely largely educational for the board and more of a discussion. He also made it clear that the board would not be able to force the public health manager. To enact an order. So what they basically did was uh, they had a, a long, couple-hour discussion on what a masking order might be, what the legalities might be, um, how they might enforce it, why it's needed or not needed. Um, and then eventually, like, they they took a kind of a consensus vote where they they asked them. They didn't do a roll call, um, but they asked the supervisors if they wanted to direct the staff to draft a ordinance for them to review at a future meeting so that would be generally that would fall on grant thomas the corporate counsel, and sue powers the public health manager and the board voted against that um i couldn't tell you exactly what the vote was because they didn't announce that they did it by a show of hands which is hard to follow on a zoom meeting to see exactly what the numbers were and count it. i wasn't able to count all the hands in the moment um because it's across like three different rooms um but they they did it they voted against ordering them to, to draft something. And yeah, that's, that's where it stands. As of right now, some people have asked me like, okay, what happens? Does that just kill it? They can still review it. And then, uh, one supervisor did ask that they continue to put this on agendas for future meetings, just in case the, the situation on the ground changes. Um, and they could always come back to it and address it at a future date. This doesn't mean like, uh, cause they didn't pass it today. They don't get to it all. Um, but, as it stands now, they're, they they seemed reluctant, and I'd say just from that voice vote, it, it was close, but I would, um, but it was like a couple of votes more against.
0: Tell me a little bit about some of the things that were brought up, both I guess for the masking order and against it. What were the things that people were talking about throughout the session?
1: Uh, yeah, so basically it broke down. Um, there were there were three major issues for people um, who expressed uh, reluctance to enact an order. And that was, um, how would you enforce it? And Chief Deputy Pat McCarty was at the meeting. The sheriff was not. But Chief Deputy Pat McCarty said that they are stretched thin in the sheriff's office with their peak summer season right now. And he's not sure how they would enforce it or if they could enforce a masking order. Um, There was the question of legality and whether or not it would hold up in court. Um, As we've seen, most of these efforts to enforce safer at home orders, Stay home orders, masking orders have faced legal challenges um, in Wisconsin and elsewhere. So there are there are questions about whether or not it would actually hold up. And if that were the case, like what kind of um, legal exposure would that put the county out and expense of fighting something like that? Dane County has enacted one. The village of Shorewood has enacted one. Other other communities are contemplating them. Milwaukee um, and whatnot. Um, and then the. The last one uh, that came up was civil liberties and personal freedom. Uh, There were several people who basically said something along the lines of, if you do this, like, what's next? Uh, Are you going to regulate what color shirt I have to wear? Supervisor Nancy Robillard said, this is a civil liberties issue. I wear a mask where I go, but I wouldn't want you to tell me that I have to. A lot of sentiments along those lines. And those those are basic reasons that I saw lobbied against it, lobbying for it, or people saying kind of what you touched on is businesses want the backup. Megan Lundell, uh, another board supervisor, made a, a very strong point about basically if you are in the service industry and some of the supervisors had said, well, this is a business by business decision. They can enforce it. They have the right to tell people they don't want to serve them if they're not wearing masks. But Megan made the point of like a lot of times in the service industry, you're asking people who rely on tips and who specialize in service to make their money to then be saying no to people, which is something you just generally are taught not to do in the service industry um, and tell them what they can't do. But also, a lot of these people in the service industry are are very young. And in many cases, maybe the boss or the owner of these businesses would be comfortable laying down the law at the door. But it's a different story when you're asking a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid or a waiter or waitress to stand up to an angry customer at the door saying, you can't do this to me, I'm coming in like that. And that is the kind of thing that's happening out there. And Megan also pointed out that in the place she works, she's had people told like, as they come to the table with masks, they've been harassed by customers for wearing their mask, things like that. So she's saying in practice, it sounds good in theory, but in practice, you're asking people to, to take some steps that are kind of akin to like a police officer or a bouncer. And that's not what they do.
0: Right. Well, and and even beyond just being uncomfortable to do it, I mean, you've got businesses that had to shut down for a portion of the season. You've got businesses that opened late. You've got businesses that uh, have reduced their hours. All of these types of things lead into a situation where you might not be comfortable telling a portion of your customer base to not frequent your establishment this summer, right? Uh, It might be one of those things where you're like, okay, I'll... I'll allow the person in without a mask because I need to pay my employees or I need to keep the doors open throughout the summer, Uh, even though you know that you're gambling with your safety at that point. So like, that's just another thing that's there. And an order like this would have gone a long way to help those businesses have something to some platform to stand on. Because, of course, individual businesses can make up the rules however they want to, but without that support system behind them, it gets a lot harder to enact stuff. And this is something that I saw Door County business owners talking about at the end of March, right? Talking about like, what are we going to do? How are you enforcing masks if you are? How have you been dealing with customers sharing stories like that all the way back at the end of March trying to figure this out and, and to just not have any guidelines or, or any support at the county or the state or the federal level is it, it leaves businesses on their own in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. And there was, in, in addition to that conversation, there was also points made by Door County Medical Center expressed their support for a county-wide masking order in indoor spaces and where pra- so outdoors, where social distancing was not practicable. The Economic Recovery Task Force didn't have like a formal vote, but expressed support for any measure like this the county board would take. And a lot of the business associations and their membership, they haven't made formal votes, but also expressed their support to Dave now and other members of the board. Then public health manager Sue Powers, refuted some claims by people in, who've in public comment session, questioning the science behind the efficacy of wearing masks. She said, we should not be debating the effectiveness of masks at this point. The studies and, and evidence is pretty clear that masks are an effective tool for suppressing the spread of COVID-19. And that is an example of somebody like learning new things and changing her opinion. Early on in this virus, she told me in an interview that masks were not a good thing to do because that was not needed for this disease. Now, granted, everything we know about it has changed since then, and now her recommendations have changed, and so have the CDCs and the World Health Organizations, um, as evidence mounts that there is high p- potential for aerosol spreading of COVID-19. Um, so that was that's kind of where it came down, and there were some strong arguments for it. There were um, some very adamant arguments against the measure. One uh, constituent was very vehement that, or Marks of Art had a very good point about how you change it once it's like, when would you end it? So you enact the order. What's your off ramp for what's your requirement for when you can take the order down? Does this disease have to be completely gone? Does it have to be at a certain level? Does it, does a vaccine have to be here? Does it have to be eradicated? Like, at what level do you say we're taking it off? And then, like, how does that set a precedent for future um, epidemics? I did think that was a. A good question to be asking and to be considering, but um, and that is one also like Grant Thomas, the corporate counsel said like that was a concern of his as well.
0: Hmm. You know, the, the the takeaways that I have from that are when you have public health, when you have the hospital, when you have people whose job it is to understand medicine and diseases, when you have those people recommending something that has to do with a pandemic. I don't understand how the debate doesn't stop there. You know what I mean? Like these are the people that we trust with public health, uh, but then to not like not heed their recommendation seems foolhardy uh, in a lot of ways. Well, to that's
1: me. that's a that's a double edged sword though, right? Because if you say the debate stops with that, well, in February the public health messaging and the hospital messaging was you don't need masks and you don't need w- to wear masks because that does not help in, in curtailing the spread it's good that people continue to investigate and continue to debate because they found out that mass did help so it's not that these are messiahs from above bestowing their knowledge they're they're always learning new things and figuring new things out but i would say that yes their advice should be taken which with greater weight than um you know your average supervisor or your average citizen who does not specialize in those things
0: But see, that's the other part of it, too, is that when when people cite early on with the CDC saying masks weren't recommended or or what Sue Powers had said early on, the primary function of science is change and, and evolution and learning, right? So, like, you go back a couple thousand years, and the popular science of the day was bloodletting with leeches. People believed that rats and flies were born of trash, Uh, Like, if you leave trash out, that's how you create rats and fly. Like, that's where they're born from. And those things change as we learn more. And this is no different. Just because it's 2020 doesn't mean that science has learned all that science can learn. So, uh, again, I think my point still is when you have the people who are investigating this the most thoroughly, those are the people whose voices I tend to put more weight on, right? Right. Uh, rather than Oh, no,
1: for sure, and they deserve more weight. It, I just don't think like that, that should mean like that's the end all be all, and that we end debate or that we we stop discussing. There are there are good arguments. There are legitimate things to think about in this because anything you do as a government body, governmental body, does have a potential precedent. So like if you did this, let's say next winter we have a really really bad, like five years from now we have a really really bad flu season. What would be your argument against public health taking like really extreme measures then too? which we've never done before and never been okay with before like you
0: may have that I guess the last thing that I want to talk about in terms of like the, the reasonings against it were what you said about civil liberties. Uh, and I'm sure at this point, everybody has seen the arguments both for and against this in terms of like, you know, it's no different than no shoes, no shirt, no service, or, uh, having to wear a seatbelt when you drive your car, all of those types of things are technically infringements on your civil liberties. And yet we accept them for the, for the public health. Um, what was the debate like in this
1: realm? I, I think that that in, in some of the supervisor's statements, I think that was probably a, a large portion of the thinking and voting um, against passing this measure was that potential infringement on, on civil liberties. Although, I mean, as somebody who wears a mask and you look at the things we ask people to do and not do, like if I walk around without pants on, I can get arrested for indecent exposure. And that's not... So asking me to wear pants is not an infringement on my civil liberties, in my opinion. Um, you know, I'm curious how a lot of those folks would appreciate that. <laughs> um, and in this case, if you're talking about potentially a, um, as Nancy Akerley said, that you're asking when you're saying my body, my choice about this, you're not actually talking about your body, your choice. You're talking about a choice you make that might very well affect the health and well-being of a lot of other people and a lot of other families around you. So um it's a that that is an argument that's in this context, in this debate, it's really hard to to see the merit in that about the well, now you're asking uh, me to wear a mask. What else about my clothing are you going to regulate? I don't think that this in any way seems like it's a slippery slope to that. Right.
0: Yeah, That that's my thing. Again, like if you can. If you can make a law about wearing a seatbelt or or any sort of law that that technically infringes on civil liberties for the greater good or for the benefit of public health, then I feel like this is more in line with that and less in line with, you know, like trying to police how people dress or, or what people wear or or anything like that. Um, you had mentioned that, that this doesn't mean that this discussion is over uh, with the County Board of Supervisors and that this is something that can be revisited. Is that something that you're anticipating or do you feel like unless something were to happen at the state level, this is kind of where it stops here for the time being?
1: Uh, I could see it coming back to the board again. I know there there is a lot of business support for a measure like this and If you did see an uptick in cases continue, we're at 53 in the county now, only eight active. Um, But if you saw a sudden burst of significantly more and significantly more staying active, um, I do think you might see it. I mean, Sue Powers did say that her office is busier than they've ever been and busier than they were early on in this crisis. And that contact tracing is becoming increasingly difficult. They're increasingly getting calls from other communities where somebody visits here, goes home, tests positive, and then they get the contact trace from that. Um, so it's it's strapping their efforts. So if you, let's say you just double the number of active cases to 15 or 20, you can imagine that really putting the, the screws to the public health department and their ability to keep this controlled and keep infected people away from infecting a lot of other people. So if that were the case, I could see um, this coming back to the county board.
0: Miles, do you have any other takeaways from this meeting before we jump into your interview with Laurel Hauser?
1: Uh, no, that should that should do it. I'm sure there'll be more talk. Um, just hop on your local social media platform of choice and
0: drive yourself insane. Right. Miles, do you post this stuff to Twitter as well? How do you feel the, the discourse is on Twitter compared to Facebook?
1: I'd say Twitter is a little bit better. Um, I think maybe just because there's fewer people from Door County on there that you don't, like the people that are there seem to be a little bit more on the informed side, actually. Um, so when there's conversation, I, it, it does seem to be a little bit more cordial. Um, but yeah, on Facebook, it does seem that there is a lot of hyper reaction to headlines and not really quality conversation amongst people.
0: Well, hopefully, as always, we are able to add some context to the conversation and the uh, hopefully kind of shape the discourse as people are talking about this out in the community, uh, because we we know full well that there's there's not a whole lot that we can do uh, to try to curtail the conversation online. So uh, hopefully we're able to to do our part in that moving forward. With that, uh, why don't we jump into your conversation with Laurel Hauser? Can you give me just a, a quick rundown of what you two talked about?
1: Uh, yeah, Uh so I talked to Laurel Hauser, who is the new interim director at Crossroads at Big Creek, the preserve down in Sturgeon Bay. And we just talked about um, how they're handling things during the COVID era, but also some new developments that they've got going on there. They've got a new interpretive trail map, and that should help users who are familiar and unfamiliar with the grounds um, take advantage and know ev- and learn everything about the Crossroads when they're out there hiking right now in a socially distanced way. And just kind of like what their vision for the future of that preserve is. And hopefully for those who are not familiar, it introduces them a little bit to Crossroads and invites you to go down and check
0: it out. Great, then we'll jump into that shortly. Uh, One last thing before we go, the Door County Living Magazine is now out. so congratulations on getting another magazine out to press. Uh, I know that you guys were working really hard around the 4th of July to get all of that stuff done. Uh, so glad to see that the magazine is out. Can you give us a, a couple takeaways from the magazine that you can't wait for people to read?
1: Yeah, I think there are people will find a number of things that uh, maybe the, kind of those questions that make you go, hey, what is the story with that place? Um, we've got a lot of stories that kind of fit that bill. There's a story about Chapel Lane and these really cool cabins that are down on that road in Bailey's Harbor. The E from Firehouse Museum, Scotty Weborg, and and the crew that um, maintains that museum and, and what the story is behind it. Uh, not Lived Yet, Frozen Custard, Ice Age Trail, and then a really good story by Lauren Bremmer um, called Carving Liquid, just all about like the kite surfing and um, windsurfing scene in Door County.
0: Great. Should be an awesome magazine to read through this summer. Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me today, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon.
1: All right. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Today, we are joined by Laurel Hauser from Crossroads at Big Creek down in Sturgeon Bay. Laurel, thanks for joining us on the podcast today.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Um, for our listeners, uh, many of you are probably familiar with Laurel's name. She has served on the Sturgeon Bay Common Council. She has uh, served with uh, Door County Land Trust in the past, has been involved in historical preservation efforts, um, a lot of different involvement in the community. Um, recently moved on to Crossroads at Big Creek and where you are serving as the interim executive director. Um, Why don't you start with kind of just telling us how you ended up at Crossroads now and what your role is there and then kind of like how the organization is evolving right now.
2: Sure. Um, I took the position of assistant director a year ago, essentially last, last um, this past spring. And I came to Crossroads after a brief Foray in your, well, a three year foray in, in your line of work in journalism. I edited the Washington Island newspaper. and that I forgot
1: was, to mention that. That's another well, big yeah. big thing you've done.
2: That was fun, and that was a really great experience for me because I, I, I was an English major in college. So I just, um, you know, words and writing and, and journalism are all near and dear to my heart. So that was a really great experience. Um, But it was a part-time job and it worked um, while I was on the council. And then once I was no longer on the council, I was ready for a more full-time position. And I was actually approached to be on the board of directors of Crossroads. And I really could not convince Myself or my husband that I needed one more volunteer (laughs) position in life, so I said, "Well, let me know if there's ever a a staff position because I have our family has loved Crossroads, used Crossroads forever, and it's an organization in Door County that I had, you know, admired a lot and and
1: it's a difficult time because Common Council is a really high paying cush position with very little responsibility, so you. (laughs)
2: Yeah. <laughs> exactly, so I'd come off of that cushy position you
1: and, it, and you had a great era when Sturgeon Bay just really had so little going on It was just Teeth basically plug and play um,
2: <laughs>
1: You probably didn't even have to study anything for those agenda packets for those three years
2: Well, at least we gave you a lot of material <laughs> <A>
1: lot of <laughs> <honor for laughs> Yes, we <effort>. did <laughs> um, No, did <laughs> So we we won't go down that rabbit hole, but um, but anyway, with, with crossroads, like you said, you have a uh, your family's been using it a long time, uh, had right. a history there, so you were drawn to it. Um, right? What like for those who like I a lot of my involvement going down the crossroads is particularly for individual events because they they you have the great amphitheater there that's kind of like that mid-sized venue, which is great for a lot of things that you know something right. like the auditorium would be a way too big of a space for. Some, certain things. But at Crossroads, you have like this, you know, the perfect kind of thing for like a 25 to 75 person kind of event um, and presentation. And so I've, I've been to a lot of things there. And then I think two winters ago, I finally went and did like a, a snowshoe hike there and just did a, and have done a couple of summer hikes there. And it really is a, a beautiful little property, right? If, for those who don't know, it's, um, kind of right on the edge of the city just over the highway so it's kind of this little remove right next to Sturgeon Bay
2: Yeah exactly i think that it's funny how i mean there we have people who use this preserve almost every day we see them all the, a lot of people who use it at least at least once or twice a week and and really it's funny how many people say i just think of this as my own private preserve because there's enough even though it's not a huge property it's actually sizable. We um, own and manage almost 200 acres. So it's not, you know, it's not-
1: I wouldn't have guessed that at all. I wouldn't have guessed 200 acres.
2: Right. Yep. So it's not, you know, it's not nearly as big as as the state parks, but it is, it's so, it's so intimate, yet there's so many trails and so many different parts of the, and, and so much variety on the property that- People feel like they can come here and have a different experience each time, and that they also are not running into people, even if the parking lot is fairly full. There's, it's a, there's a lot of serenity here for people, and they use it like their private preserve. So I, every time somebody tells me that, I kind of have to laugh because it, it is heavily used. On the other hand, I think that you are right that a lot of people don't really understand how accessible Crossroads is. I and mean, we are literally a stone's throw from the YMCA and the hospital. We're one of the four corners at that roundabout where the, the Y and the hospital are. So we're within the city limits of Sturgeon Bay. Um, I think this is, so, so yes, we do have our, our auditorium here, which gets used so much Crossroads building and um, the auditorium pre-COVID, you know, was just used by dozens of community organizations, kind of this was their go-to when they had to have a meeting or they wanted to do a presentation and it hit the right, you know, it was the right size. Um, but I don't know if people understand how much what we offer on the land for a you know, coming for a quick hike after work before you go home or on the weekend with your kids. Kids love crossroads. Um, (laughs) There's just, you know, bridges to lay down on and look into the water. There's, um, you know, wetlands to to see. There's a little balance beam that kids can walk across uh, over a a little puddle. You know, you have to be willing to get your feet wet possibly, (laughs) but um, there's just a lot of places to explore. So, I People do know us through our Ski for Free program, mm-hmm. and as you mentioned, and that's great because it allows people in the community to get out and not have to have ski equipment. They can come here, they can, no charge, and, and I should mention, Crossroads is no charge to anyone, anytime, so all the things we mentioned, other than... Um, there's some fees it, it's very minimal if you use the building and you're an organization but for for the average person coming here to hike or ski um there's or bike or you know bring their dog for a walk there's no charge hmm. it, yeah.
1: and that that's an important point you just mentioned, so it is pet friendly
2: it is pet friendly we um you have to have your dog on a leash um but you but this We give a lot of lot of dogs who love the Crossroads. In fact, <laughs> there, there's, dogs, there's owners who won't say the word Crossroads it's in their house because their dog associate's so so it's <laughs> time to go for a
1: walk. The Crossroads been around, I think you said, the original founding um, back in 1991, the first property purchases, and it's no surprise that it ha- has a lot of affinity uh, or that a lot of children have an affinity for it. Um, Cog and Herring has been associated with Crossroads for so long. Like she has been the kind of the, the face of that. And she was yeah. a, it doesn't surprise me because yeah. she was a substitute teacher when I was a kid at Gibraltar and right. <laughs> she would come in and, and try to um, endow a love of nature in her students. And I can and see how that uh, takes place down at Crossroads as well.
2: Yep. She, she is a fabulous um, instructor and, she she does exactly that. She instills a love of nature with all of her knowledge and fun stories, and the, she she's really a master at at um, giving kids access to and and adults access to what's happening and an understanding of, of nature. And we are thrilled. I mean, part of this whole our transition was um, definitely at her. At, um, prodding over the last few years of realizing that, you know, she she was the first first staff member when Crossroads so Crossroads was established as part of the educational foundation at Sturgeon Bay High School and or school district and then um, that was in 1991 and then it wasn't until 2004 that it became its own. Entity as a 501c3 nonprofit, and um, somewhere in the in the midst of that time, I think around 2000, Kagan was hired as the director of of Crossroads, which was under the foundation. Um, so she has been the face of Crossroads since the beginning, and has had such a pivotal role in taking it from a six, essentially a you know 53 acre parcel to an almost 200 acre. Mm property now um she and so many others i mean i would be remiss if we didn't say that when you look back at the history of crossroads it has been a beloved community project (laughs) with all sorts of names that and i'm not even going to start to say them because there's so many and i would i would leave some off but it's a labor of love by by the community for sure um but we're thrilled that kagan is staying on that that she's one we only have three staff members <laughs> we have myself and then kagan has taken the um title of program director and naturalist which she loves which is everything that's in her ballywick and what yeah basically i think shedding some of the things that she's done and doesn't need to doesn't feel she needs to keep doing and doing the things she is you know, a phenomenal ad. And then we have Nikoletsky, who is our land and facilities manager, who is just, I can't say enough about either. He is is doing a really remarkable job. So we have a a strong um, staff, I think, with people doing what they're good at. And we have a really strong board of directors. So that's
1: exciting. So, Crossroads, what's going on now It's part of, obviously, there's a, a little bit of a change in organization, uh, as you just described, but um, right. you've got some exciting things that will actually, that, that users will <laughs> notice. Uh, um, they yeah. won't know, so much notice the leadership change, but um, you're talking about an interpretive trail map that you guys have put together.
2: Yeah, we are super excited about um, a project that has been in the works now for probably about six months. Because it takes a while, there's a lot of details on a good map, and it takes a while to put one together. But we um, started last winter, we got some young, as you're talking about, we got some young people involved, which is exciting, on a committee to um, kind of figure out, where if we if somebody drives into our parking area, and they haven't visited Crossroads before, and they don't know it like the back of their hand, and they have an hour, and they want to know where they can go, and what they can see, what could we give them that would give them the context of this property? And we started from that premise and that need, and um, we enlisted. We actually put out an RFP for artists, and we interviewed a few. We got we got a lot of response, and we chose this amazing um, woman from the Horicon Marsh, Horicon region of Wisconsin, who is a naturalist, and Laura Condon, and she put together. Um, this illustrated map for us, and it's called the Habitat Trails Map. And it, we, there's lots of trails at Crossroads there and, and the map shows the ancillary trail. So you can come and you can craft your own outing. You do not have to follow these. these, But if you want to see four that we've put in and have provided some interpretation for it, you can do, we call it the Field Forest Meadow Creek. Map the hmm. habitat trail map: field, forest, meadow, creek. Because we have four really distinct uh, ecosystems, habitats here in this small property, and so this map takes you like, oh, I could do the, you know, field loop, which is gonna take me, you know, up on the to the highest elevation level of this property, and where I can see, I might be able to see a, a harrier um, hunting for voles, and I get a view over the. Bay, the estuary of 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 Sturgeon Bay, or I could do the creek loop where I get to go over four different bridges and look for pike in the spring and hunt for fossil. So it's um, it's just a really. It's a, gonna, I think it's going to be a really popular tool with the community, and we are going to have these maps available at um, marked... The trails um, are in the process of getting marked, even as we speak, um, and we will have trail maps available for free at Trailhead at our main um, campus at the Collins Learning Center right on Michigan Street. Um, so I, th- I think it's going to be something that is just going to make people feel so much more welcome
1: and comfortable with setting out on the trails. Sure. I think, um, putting something like that together is, is so important, especially because like, if you go to some, even some of our state parks, the trails aren't particularly well marked When same thing in some of our county parks. And I understand that that's due to budget constraints and things, but sure. it is, uh, it does make you become less likely to like a novice to go out and experience those trails. Cause you don't know where you are. And, yeah. um, and how to, how to navigate them, but then also you don't know how to interpret what what you're appreciating out there and what you're looking at all the time. So having a little more of an interpretive map that's not just, okay, here's, here's your direction home, but here is what you're seeing, and here's what you should take away from this experience and come away with a newfound appreciation and be able to talk about it and share it with other people.
2: Exactly. I think that that is right, and it gives you some sense of I think ownership and investment in the or a deeper level of of appreciation for the property and that's what we're I think really after here is to connect people to the land and we do that in a lot of ways but this is but there's nothing that you know there's nothing like being able to go out and hear the birds and see the dew on the or see the spider web or see the snake that you know to be actually immersed in it and this is I think our tool we can give people to come and explore when you have a when you have a half an hour, just come and decompress after the day and you know, a hot day, walk under the forest cover and it's a difficult world. Um it's
1: exciting. What is your favorite time to be like to experience crossroads? You know, like certain places have a great like it's awesome in the morning, awesome at sunset. Yeah. Like what do you have a, a particular time?
2: I, I'm a morning person by nature and it's so <laughs> I, I kind of love the early morning when it's quiet, and actually a lot of people do come here for a run in the morning. Mm. Um, but I was I brought my dog for a walk last week, and um, in the evening, and oh my gosh, was this beautiful! And it, it feels like it's a different place. You know, probably not that much different than like when you go to a restaurant for breakfast and then you go back for dinner, and it's mm-hmm. like the whole atmosphere is different. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's beautiful anytime though. It it really it really.
1: Is um, COVID nineteen obviously has thrown a wrench into the operations of every business. Mm-hmm. I guess for visitors, like what are what's the ground rules at Crossroads right now? I'm sure the great thing is it's an outdoor activity. It's something you can experience without being indoors in a crowd.
2: Yeah, exactly. It is. It's funny how I mean, it definitely has altered some of our programming, and I think it's just shifted our focus. Like, okay, this is what this year is going to be. Uh, but f- f- fortunately, for, or hopefully not much more than a year, but <laughs> fortunately for us, we had a lot of things on our to-do list, like this like this map, which does get people outdoors, and um, also ecological restoration, which I can talk a little bit more about, too. Um, but right now, visitors can come. Anytime we're open twenty four hours a day every day of the week, and people can come and use our preserve, our restrooms are open, which is a nice facility for people um that that's um there's a separate entrance on the Collins Learning Center on the side of it um with restroom access so so that's available. The Collins Learning Center is not open right now, and we're not doing any sort of activities where it's open to the public and you don't know how many people can show up because that's you know by our Public health departments' direction, we you have to be able to limit the number of people at an event. And Coggin and, um, is do, taking um, requests for a nature by appointment, where it's a family. You know, if there's a family up here that wants an outing, or a group of kids that uh, you know practice safer at home together, kind of things, they can make an appointment and and come and have a um, you know safe excursion with a naturalist. So we would. Definitely encourage people to contact Coggin at Crossroads at Big Creek dot org, and and you can that's a you know so that's kind of a cool you can have a one on basically kind of or even one on one she would do but um, hmm. you know for a small group I think that's that is a fun offering. Um, we are super excited about um, we we have enlisted uh, Landscapes of Place, which is a a local. Um, organization that, but also they work nationally, really of renown, who um, helps with ecological restoration plans. And Crossroads had a phenomenal plan done about, I think, about fifteen years ago. So it's time again for us to look at our property and figure out what needed to be done because, in the past fifteen years, there is just. Invasive species have taken over different areas. We've had ash trees that have um, died, that have opened up wetland areas. Um, and basically, we decided as a board that we, there's a, there's ways you characterize habitat for, for you know, plants and animals. And one of the, I, I love the metaphor of like, you, you either are, uh, you can be a fire escape, which you know, provide some amount of shelter and comfort. You can be a convenience store, um, gas station, convenience store, or you can be a four-star hotel. And we characterize ourselves right now as a, a as a pretty good convenience store, but we're <laughs> shooting for the <laughs> we're shooting for the four-star hotel uh, mark. And we we and I should mention too because I love this, this story is that when Crossroads when the property was first marketed, that first corner of michigan and the highway it was marketed as an ideal place for a gas station and it was a derelict orchard um that had been the creek had been channeled um out of its natural path um you know orchard it had been an orchard with heavy chemical use it was not a pristine property so it it, it, what is here now people just would not believe that that's that was just for you know, what thirty years ago. So, um, but we're working. We won't really want to ex- extend that um, our progress there. So we had an ecological restoration plan done. Um, phase one of it was done and adopted by our board this past spring, and it's titled "Begin with the Creek." And it is we're already um, removing reed canary grass from Big Creek and um, unearthing or un Rediscovering um, some native plants that are taking over because the invasives are coming out, and because um, the um, sunlight is getting in. With the, you know, when we lost some ash trees, it actually, um, in some ways, was a a, a good thing, and we we're seeing native growth. Um, and we've gotten some. We've been writing for some state and federal grants, and we um, are waiting to hear on a really big one. This. Um, later this summer, but we have received a couple of grants in the forty-five thousand dollar range, um, and we are excited that that those will help us um, really get started with being able to hire some contractors and purchase some native plants and get those in the ground. Um, but the really exciting part of that is we are looking for help with from the community. Um, we want to connect. People, I think people are looking for a way to connect to the land to be part of a solution on healing property, and so we have lots of opportunities for volunteers to come and and be part of our habitat healers group.
1: Um, you know, you mentioned some of the origins of Crossroads there, and you talked about the gas station, and this is something that I was explaining to someone recently. Um, you know, I'm I'm not one of those weekly users of Crossroads. Just especially because I live all the way up in Sister Bay, but um, right. I'm an appreciator. And one of the things that I spend a lot of time thinking of, probably to my wife's annoyance, is the kind of like the how our entryways to our villages and and towns and and the city look, and to our county. And I, I do wish, yeah. as a whole, we could put more thought into that. And you think of, you know, as you come in Naswapi, like, are there ways to Allow the businesses that operate there, but also try and, um, you know, make them feel like Door County, not like anywhere USA. So if you could somehow have screening or plantings or cherry trees or anything like that, that make it feel like Door County versus just any four lane Mm -hmm. highway. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think crossroads, if you think about like coming over that bridge heading north and the -hmm. difference between having crossroads there at the foot of that bridge as you across the canal which to many people signifies the entry to the county um on their vacations versus a big gas station <laughs> right there right. and this is not to right. not gas stations we all use gas stations all the time but yeah. you think of what that says like hey we're in door county the first thing we see is a nature preserve versus we're in door county the first thing we see is a gas station um, optimized yep. to get the most money out of our pockets. Um, I was disappointed years ago when the American Transmission Company came through and erected those massive new um power lines right there too. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. again, you're right at the main entrance to the um to the northern part of the peninsula, and the first thing you see is just gargantuan power lines. Um, and I'm always concerned about those those parts of the highway those those agricultural areas, even as yeah. you go north, they're for sale. What's going to end up there? Um, so it's nice to know that like Crossroads is there and has preserved that, at least that first entry point. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. like how did that, how did it come about and why was that property? Why did anybody think to target that and preserve it 30 some years ago?
2: That's pre- it is pretty amazing that they did actually. And you know, I, my understanding is that it, actually my I had a little, who, who I never had the pleasure to meet because he passed away before I met my husband, but he had a, a role in this. He was a biology teacher at Surgeon Bay High School, and he used to take their class classes out to a little city lot near the school because even on that little city lot, there was nature taking place. But at that time, they, there was a group, a founding group that started looking at you know what, what they could Find a piece of property that could act as an instructional, you know, ecological school forest, that sort of thing. And I think it's, I I guess they looked further afield because there were properties that were less expensive um, or maybe a little more pristine. (laughs) Uh, But the fact that they had the vision to settle on this property and what this has become is is just incredible. I don't know, you know, the creek certainly did not look like it looks now when they bought this. It was channeled. Like I said, it wasn't allowed to re-meander until a big project in 1998 um, allowed that to happen. And since they bought it, we've also added the Cove Preserve, which as you say, that's if you look over the bridge and you see the estuary, Big Creek Estuary, that's a great piece of ecological property that's also bordered by a little bit of DNR land. So. Yeah. I don't know what, why, you know, it was a, I don't know if it was a happy accident or somebody just really had some good vision. Um, and then it's just been so much work over the years of, but I'm sorry, I'm talking too much, but no, that's fine. <laughs> what, what you're saying about, you know, what excites you and, and I totally am on board with that about the entryways, but what really excites me and probably why I took this job is I feel like we are going to need to, as a society, start to restore properties that have been damaged and challenged and destroyed. So it's important to save the pristine areas for sure while we can, but it is going to be more and more important to say, hey, we put in a parking lot that's five times what we need, especially as people are working from home now. Um, And maybe we could take out some of this asphalt and maybe we could see what was there before. And maybe we could help some of that come back and maybe people could go on their lunch break and walk in a forest. And, you know, and so I think, you know, crossroads were one little parcel in Sturgeon Bay, but we're an example of a community being able to do this. And maybe we can be part of the, you know, part of the database, the data points of how, how this can happen um, and how we can re-envision a, a reclaimed natural space for people. <laughs> so that's what excites me about, about Castro.
1: You worked for the land trust for a while as well. Um, what is it that draws you to this kind of work personally?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I was having a discussion with my sisters the other day about this because my mom, I told... My, she saw a picture of a snake at Crossroads the other day, and she's like, "Oh, dick. I was like, how did I end up with this? I don't know why people end up drawn. I, I, other, you know, probably scientists do more than others, but I've always been drawn to nature. I remember going on a, well, I had a boyfriend in high, in high school whose family had land back like nine miles back on logging trails in the UP, and I got to go to the Boundary Waters in college, and but I, you know, sort of thought also. Oh, experiences um so i don't know why i'm i liked my favorite poet is william wordsworth you know i wandered lonely as a cloud through fields of death <laughs> i don't know I, I think i have a romantic bend in me that, that nature just speaks to me and um and i just i think we needed the world is very is as, i think it was I don't know if it was William Wordsworth who said, "Too much with us, like we need space for quiet and in peace and um, time to kind of decompress." And so I think that appeals to me. Um, and we just were part of the ecosystem. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> what uh, you know, it's hard for any organization or business to think much far beyond their nose right now. Um, I know I struggle with it, but yeah. from from the Perspective of Crossroads at Big Creek, if you can free your head to think down the road a couple of years, five years down the road, what is your organization and you personally, like, what are you hoping to see happen at Crossroads over the next couple of years?
2: That's a great question. And that is one, like, our our board has been really involved in strategic planning the last um, couple of years. And we are instituting what what they came up with, which we're doing all the kind of, I don't want to say boring stuff, but the the sustainable organizational stuff, like, you know, new new titles and new job descriptions and um, dusting off our bylaws. We looked at bylaws and our lease agreements and all, uh, we're getting our accounting and bookkeeping up on QuickBooks, kind of modernizing those. All those sorts of things are being done now. Um, and this fall, we... Um, well last winter we went as a we did a field trip. Our whole board went down and visited River Edge Nature Center um near Milwaukee, which is one of them, you know, kind of premier nature centers that's been around for a long time in Wisconsin. And this fall that's our task is to like where do we want where do we we have all these assets and we have all this potential. Where do we wanna be three or five years from now? And, you know, really the sky's the limit on that in terms of do we wanna have summer camps for kids or overnight, um, you know, put up some platform tents in our Ida Bay Preserve, which we haven't even talked about, which is another one of our preserves that we have a lot of kind of cool things happening there. Um, you know, do we want to be the outdoor, if you want to get outdoors in Door County, come here because we're like the urban ecology center in Milwaukee, where you can check out a tent and, um, you know, check out a kayak and put it in at our Cove Preserve, um, do, do we want to do some sort of a nature school and work with the um, schools here in, in Door County and provide some sort of, you know, connection, some sort of specialized nature, nature program for schools? Um, so there's all sorts of ways this could go, and that's what we're – that's another kind of, you know, silver lining of the COVID thing is, if we're not busy doing programming right now, we can be busy figuring out, you know, this is a good time for us to be assessing what what we want to be offering. So, we are... We actually talked about that at our last board um, board meeting and that's what we are going to be focused on. So if people have any ideas or want to share any thoughts or experience they have, we would love to hear from them. Um, I put that out to the Door County community because there's a lot of experienced people here who might have thoughts on that.
1: Well, I think all of that sounds really exciting, especially when you think of how different preserves and organizations have to differentiate themselves. You know, there are there are a bunch of different parks and nature organizations in Door County. And right. it's interesting to see how they evolve. Some are very hands off. Some are are very like, hey, let's get you out here and use this property. Um and crossroads has a pretty unique position, especially being right there by the city, um, and and so close that you, like you said, schools and 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 organizations can come out and visit it and and citizens can be a part of it very easily. Um the It's also a very young organization. I mean, even though it's been around since I I think you said like 1991 was the first property purchase, but it really is for so many nonprofits and for so many of these kind of like shoestring organizations, it's 20 or 30 years of trying to figure out what you can do and who you are and, and getting to an organizational standpoint that you do lay the foundation that you then build on. I mean, I think of the Ridges, which is right down the street from me right now recording in Bailey's Harbor. They only built that nature center six, seven years ago. And they've been around for 75 odd years. And so much of it, so much of that history of the ridges was a very shoestring um, organization with some devoted followers. And it took so long for those devoted followers to grow into something more that could take on the project, like, like the nature center that could become what it is now. And as much as that is embedded into our community, it's, their attendance has, I think, doubled or tripled in since they built that nature center. So you just see how much growth there still is once you kind of really figure out who you are and what you want to be.
2: That's, yeah, that's exactly right. And it does take oh, it does take some time to do that. And, you know, every organization has its own trajectory of growth. Um, this one spent a lot of, Crossroads spent a lot of years um, just getting out of debt from the building this nature center, which the Collins Learning Center, which is fabulous and providing, you know, all the infrastructure that you need to have a a preserve. And so we're working also on that, like in expanding our donor base of support. People have for a long time, I think, thought that Crossroads was supported by the school um, because it grew out of that relationship, but we are completely donor supported. So, you know, we are, Getting the word out that if you use Crossroads, you know, if you, if this is your private preserve, please, you know, become a supporting member, which people are, and that's so encouraging and, and fabulous. Um, but you're right, it does take a, a while, and I think Crossroads is used in so many different ways by some, maybe of our. Car charging station here that is almost busy all the time. Somebody's charging their electric car, which is a free service. We have the heritage garden um, that people can can visit, and this year is a victory garden. We have eBird. We're moving up on the county's eBird hotspots, so people, so birders come here. So there's all these different, you know, crossroads. So many different things to so many different people, um, which is great. But it, it is, there's a lot of different ways we could go with it. So we're still in, I would say that, um, you know, period of figuring out who we're going to be. Maybe we're in the adolescent age kind of, um, which is exciting. And we have a, like I said, a really, really strong board for this, for this next phase of our, of our existence, which is encouraging.
1: Um, Laurel, anything else we should hit on before I kind of wrap this up?
2: I don't think so other than to just remind people that in the next couple of weeks we will have our habitat trail map available for their use and we encourage anyone to come by and visit we're open every day all day so come and come and explore crossroads.
1: All right. Laurel, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and taking us through some of the history of Crossroads, what you guys have going on. Um I really encourage our listeners to check out Crossroads at Big Creek anytime. And then hopefully once, um, once we can get back to gathering again, um, I'm looking forward to some programming that you guys have there and I encourage people to check that out as well. Um, Laurel, thanks again.
2: Thanks, Miles. Um, one of our loops I should mention is stroller friendly. So if you, when you get your little guy out, come and, <laughs> come and, come and bring him along.
1: Well, I am definitely looking forward to that. Even as we were talking, I was thinking about uh, you know as you mentioned like booking trips with Cog, I'm like, oh man, one day I'm going to yeah. be that guy with the with little yeah. Connor coming down and. Get getting to show him a lot of the things that I experienced in my hometown, which is a, a really cool experience that I um, look forward to. So yeah, we'll look forward to
2: that as well. Thanks a lot, Miles. Take Thanks a lot. Yep.
0: Bye bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at the Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.